Welcome back to the Lou Perez podcast. My name is Lou Perez, and I'm happy to report that right now you can order my book. That's right. I wrote a book. It's called That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore on the Death and Rebirth of Comedy. Follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez. That joke isn't funny anymore. If you want other options on how you can buy my book, please sign up for my newsletter at theluperez.com. You could also join my community at theluperez.locals.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could leave a five-star review, that would be amazing. Whether you're a long-time listener or first-time, five-star reviews are lovely. If you're looking for other ways you can support me, you could do so by supporting my sponsors. If you're into CBD products, please check out PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Use promo code Lou to get 25% off purchases over $75. And if you like cold brew, check out Black Organic Cold Brew at www.blvckbrew.com and use promo code Lou for free shipping. All right, let's go. Well, Lou, thanks for joining the show, and I, I like the fact that we're going to go back and forth and just have a have a real conversation, and uh, both of our audiences can share and get something out of it. But I want to start with something I noticed about you on Twitter, and I guess you follow me, I follow you, and you're always funny, and you're kind of gentle at times with your humor, I think, as opposed to some other folks. But I have to say, I think you're throwing a little more of the sharp-elbowed tweet out there now and then. Is, is that a fair take? And I was kind of curious why, because I, I tend to think of you as one of the more... Uh, um, reasonable voices, and you still are, but I, I sense an edge to your your commentary of late. Yeah, you know, I, I wonder, uh, I wonder what's happening to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of forced to ask myself that question. Um, I don't know if uh, perhaps the uh, the inspirations that are coming to me are a lot have to do with a little bit more uh, edgy or or dangerous material, or uh, maybe it's a product of kind of being cooped up in a very cold uh, northeastern part of the country. Um, but, you know, I, I think the, the one thing, the one thing I would say is I, I, at least I hope that, you know, anything that's coming out, if it, uh, whether it has, you know, edge or it's a little bit more playful, um, I, I hope it, I hope it's at least a, a little original, you know, I hope, uh, I hope people are getting at least, uh, you know, that from it. And uh, who knows, maybe, you know, um, uh, I'll be doing a little bit more, um, upbeat happier stuff yeah i'm hoping that <laughs> i'm hoping current events <laughs> plays into that and your your stuff is always funny and interesting and thought-provoking i i didn't you know i just i don't know i i, I think i think maybe i'm too self-analytical because i sense it in myself sometimes too and so i have to kind of like i have to like remind myself hey don't be a downer don't be so hardcore don't be so political throw some fun stuff in there and i'll just put a picture of my dog on twitter and just <laughs> kind of shake things up a bit well, I think I think that says a lot about you and and um, and other people like that, where that rather than just uh, allowing you know social media to be sort of the uh, uh, you know the unfiltered uh, you know kind of garbage factory that it can be, you know, you actually you know take a, a step back and say, hey, what is this saying about me, um, and do I like what it's saying about me? Yeah, um, and and I think that's something you know I I think I look. You know, I've been on probably Twitter for over a decade. I can't even believe that. Um, and uh, you know, there's you know, going through all different uh, you know uh, uh, stages of uh, you know career development and all that. I haven't been doing a lot of um, uh, 
sketch comedy videos. So there might there might be something to that where when I was doing producing a lot more sketch comedy, uh, kind of my uh, my focus was on you know being able to you know, write a three to five page script and to produce it and edit it and get it out there. Whereas um, maybe that took a, a you know a little bit of the uh, you know that that essence away from uh, uh, from Twitter. Interesting. Actually, I reached out to some people on Twitter, I think last week and said, Hey, what are some fun accounts I can follow uplifting, inspirational, motivational, just because I wanted, I wanted to have more of that in my, in my life and in my, uh, my voice. And, you know, we're both entrepreneurs in ways we're kind of creating our own business and blazing our own trails for better and worse, <laughs> at least in my, my situations. So I, I think you have to be extra careful of how you sound on social media. Oh, sure. I mean, it could get, you know, uh, you know, people can catch the worst of you. I mean, the, the, the idea that, you know, you can kind of be summed up in one line uh, and then, you know, that, you know, paints a, a picture for, you know, for mm-hmm. a lot of people, especially uh, like, you know, we've been following each other for a while. So, um, you know, you're able to, you know, see the different sides, at least of what I'm uh, revealing on, on, uh, on social media. Um you know, who's a really good, who was a really good uplifting follow, uh, the lead actor in what was that movie? Shazam. Was it? Was Zachary Levi? Uh, yeah. He was like a very, uh, I remember coming across his work and, uh, he dealt with, I guess, haters in such a positive mm. Zen like manner, uh, that there was, it, it was sort of, it was nothing but enlightenment and kindness and wishing the best for the, uh, you know, for, the other person, even if the other person kind of uh, came at him hard on, on Twitter. And but what's fine. I haven't seen his stuff in a while. So, you know, maybe he was like, you know what? I got I to get away from this. <laughs> he did a secret out on us. I actually find that Pat Zajic can be very funny. Yeah, He's right of yeah. center, but he doesn't really get too heavy in the mix, but he's very self-deprecating and kind of, you know, taking his own community to task. And I find that very enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, well, isn't it interesting that a lot of, uh, uh, game show hosts seem to be, you know, right of center or, hmm. or libertarian. Um, it's, I, I almost feel like they're, uh, uh, they're almost like double winners. Like they sort of won the lottery in that they, you know, are able to host a game show. And also they won the lottery by being born in a country where they can host a game. Show. That's right. And also I think they, they meet such a wide swath of Americans they maybe that has an influence on them, but it is interesting. A little bit like SNL alums seem to be drifting to the right of late once they leave the that that atmosphere, the ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, for sure. One thing I've been doing a lot, and I'm sure I'm boring people at this point, is talking about my book, Virtue Bomb. So I know you have a book that's on the way, not quite there yet, but coming soon. And I love the title. That joke isn't funny anymore. So to, uh, give us a little bit of insight. I know this you're sort of knee deep in there, but what can you what can you tease about it? Sure. Uh, so uh, the quote, you know, that joke isn't funny anymore for all my Smiths fans out there. Um, it comes from a, a track off of the Meat is Murder album. And um, uh, it, it all started when I wrote an article that appeared in the Wall Street Journal at the end of 2020 titled How I Became a Far Right Radical. <laughs> and uh, in the article, it was me um, uh, pushing back against a academic paper that was uh, about the uh, supposed growth of right-wing echo chambers on YouTube. Um, very scary language. And in it, uh, at, the, at the end of the paper, there was a list of all these different channels that they, they deemed far-right. 
And wouldn't you know that my channel that I was working for at the time, We the Internet TV, was was on that was on that list. And uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Noam Dwarman, who's the owner of the uh, of the Comedy Cellar, he shared it with me, and he said, he "said You got to respond somehow. Like, do a video, <laughs> write something." Um, and I was like, "Ah, you know, whatever." But then the more that I thought about it the uh, angrier I got because I was like, wait a minute, you know, I had, uh, I had just lost my job and um, we were, you know, I was a couple of months into, you know, being unemployed and wondering where, where my career was going to go. And then I just imagined, wait, if somebody came across, you know, we, the internet TV and saw my mug or they saw my resume and saw that I worked there and they start associating me with like far right. Like who wants to work with that guy? Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess it's, I guess it's sort of similar, like, you know, taking someone for their, at their worst tweet, you know, like we were talking about earlier. Um, so, uh, Noam, uh, thanks to him, he, uh, uh, put me in touch with the wall street journal. Uh, they ran the, uh, the article and then I, uh, I got my book deal off of that. Wow. So, uh, nice. Yes. So the, uh, it's my first book and you know, I, I don't know if you had this experience where you start out, uh, thinking your book is going to be one thing and then it just sort of takes on uh, a life of its own. Uh, so in it, you know, I, I've sort of uh, been exploring or relearning why comedy is so important to me, mm -hmm. why I've devoted so much of my life to it. And uh, so that's been, uh, that's been a lot of what the book is about, where a lot of people see, you know, sort of like the death of comedy and, you know, you can't make jokes anymore and you can't say this, you can't say that. So I'm coming out and, and trying to change people's opinion on that and say, no, actually, this is the best time to be doing comedy. And oh, interesting. If you stick, if you stick with me for, you know, however many thousands of words that I, that I put down, um, I hope to uh, entertain you and then also uh, leave you hopeful for the future of the laugh industry. You know, what's interesting, we've seen a few pretty major players in pop culture pass recently, Bob Saget and Betty White. And what were they? They were, they were comics. They were people who made us laugh over decades. And, and we had such a strong reaction to them when they died. Of course, Betty White was older, but we still – we thought she'd live forever. And Bob Saget was only 65. But, you know, people who make us laugh consistently over the years and have a fairly positive outlook and, you know – I. I can't remember what Bob Saget said that was mean spirited. I mean, he's always he could be dirty, but he wasn't like railing against people. And Betty Betty White was just America's grandma. But it, it does mean something for people who are bringing joy into our lives, and that's what comedy is. So I think even on that level, it's it's worth exploring and worth defending. Yeah, and and for for your listeners and my listeners as well, I would highly recommend you guys listen to Bob Saget's um, uh, uh, story about. Um, Norm Macdonald or Bob Saget's response to the death of his best friend, Norm Macdonald, who, you know, only passed away, uh, you know, not too long before Bob Saget did. And uh, the, uh, the love that those two men, you know, had for each other, their friendship is, is uh, it, it was wonderful uh, to listen to. Um, and yeah, that there is something about uh, someone who's able to make you laugh is when you think about it, it's kind of rare, you know, you think about how many people you pass on the street or how many people, you know, whose lives, you know, uh, you're, uh, you're in, or you come into contact with, and it's like, they're not funny, you know? <laughs> and then it's, and then it's the people where, you know, you can go to a party, you could be at a party for, uh, for four hours. And the only thing you remember is that one guy or that one woman who, who made you laugh, you know, and it could, uh, it uh, laughter, I think could 
kind of have a life of its own. And, and it's also, I think, a reminder, too, of life as well. It's sad to me that the, the movie-going experience is changing and the audiences have been dwindling, unless it's a superhero film. And even, I think, horror films have actually done fairly well during the pandemic. But I would think that there aren't many examples of it, but to me, the communal experience in a theater is great for, you know, like a Black Widow or something with the, the razzmatazz. But horror, when you're all scared and gripping your armrests and kind of have a collective sense to what's going on. But also comedy. If you see a comedy in a big theater with a whole bunch of people and everyone's laughing, it's more fun. And it's, to me, it's kind of sad that, that that part of it has kind of been missing in recent in recent years because they just don't make that many comedies. And they certainly don't make that many good comedies. So it's... And I think I think that's another money money left on the table because Hollywood could be bringing that to the attention and could be getting some more cash out of it, and yet they're they're kind of passing up on it. Yeah, and I know you've you've written about this uh, before, and uh, I actually when I think when I read one of your articles about it, sort of like the uh, uh, the death of of the comedy feature film, I was like, oh no. I, my, me and my partner just wrote a comedy, <laughs> and it's and it's a feature. Oh no! Uh, but yeah, I, I uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the last comedy that I saw in the theater. I remember I saw Borat in the theater with two of my friends, and I laughed so hard. And then I think I, I saw Jackass 3D in the theater, and that was another one where I was like, you know, just bold, you know, just just dying from from laughter. Um, but those, you know, I think just thinking about those two mm-hmm. films and probably probably the reason why they they stand out is because there are these kind of big films, like something that you would want to see on the uh, uh, on the big screen, where I think a lot of uh, comedy, especially in the feature film department, has kind of gone the way of like, here's a sad story that was written by a comedian. And, you know, they're, they're, it's kind of like smaller. It's like, uh, you know. Uh, mom's sick or a uh, best friend is suicidal and let's see, you know, what happens with this, you know, rather uh, small story, which I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe there are some, maybe we're just going to the way that, you know, some movies need to be experienced on a, on a couch as opposed to, uh, you know, a movie theater. Yeah. I, mean, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I think there are movies that just do, work perfectly in a small venue on a couch with your friends, with your wife kind of snuggled up. That's, you know, that's what they're meant for. I mean, if you see them in this big screen, it doesn't hurt the experience, but you know, there's, there's an intimacy that goes into the theatrical model that uh, is worth exploring. You, you know, we kind of alluded to the times, the fact that times are hard and there's pressure and people are fighting over COVID and everything. Does that sort of impact your, your comedy outlook? Do you try to maybe tell more uplifting jokes or jokes that kind of cut against the grain or how to, as a comedian, how do you kind of process that, that reality? Well, I think, uh, the, the times that I've been on stage, you know, during, uh, during the plague, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I've been, you know, like pointing out at how this should be normal, you know, us all in this room, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, experiencing live comedy. But it's not normal. So behind everything, there is this, uh, um, you know, there is this sensation that what we're doing isn't normal anymore. And there's something perhaps a little bit more special to it. Um, And I've noticed, uh, uh, you know, doing live shows that the audiences are really hungry to be there and to, you know, if they're willing to come out Mm -hmm. anyway, um, they, 
you know, some of them, I guess in some people's minds, they're, they're risking it all, you know, to come and see you perform. Um, and that's, uh, that's a pretty, uh, pretty cool thing. I don't think you're going to see the hosts on the view coming to your next show though. Just a heads up. They don't, <laughs> seem, they don't seem involved. They don't want to be there mask or no mask or vaccine or anything. So just, <laughs> just get ready for that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's actually kind of life affirming. The fact that if the, if the folks are willing to go out there, they are just ready to rock and ready to roll. And maybe they won't, uh, record you and, 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 uh, tattle on you for telling the wrong joke. Maybe there's another benefit of that. Right. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, well, talk a little bit about your your peers. Uh, do you, I mean, do you congregate with fellow comedians? Do you find that there are sort of similar things on their minds, or does each comedian have a kind of a wildly different approach to the culture right now? Well, let's see. My uh, so I'm married and I have two children. Uh, both I have two under two. So one of them is uh, he's going to be two in a in two months, and the other one is about three and a half months old. Uh, so my life, uh, is not going out. Okay. <laughs> so, so all of my, um, all of my contact with my comedy peers, it's, uh, either, you know, via like, you know, text message or, or email. Mm-hmm. So, so we're sort of, uh, keeping each other in the loop by sending one another memes and, <laughs> and, uh, and that sort of thing. And, uh, I, yeah, so it's been a while since, man, I'm so I'm such a boring guy. It's like been a while since I've been out and, you know, had beers or, uh, stayed late after a show and and uh, and uh, <laughs> and all that. Well, perfectly normal. The fact that you're not falling asleep mid conversation is a good sign. <laughs> With two oh, youngins yeah. like that, the sleep thing is a, is a significant issue. So I think you're I think you're it's, just just being boring is perfectly fine. <laughs> it's unreal. I, I also I, I uh, the 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 cry the scream of a newborn is something that I. Uh, I, I don't wish that upon anybody. I don't wish that upon my, my worst enemy, Christian. What's funny, when, once – I almost got numb to it. I have two kids, and they're, they're older now. But I, I think when you're, when you're reacquainted with it, it, it becomes even more frightening because they go, oh, how did I live through that? Well, yeah, you just, you just do. You just get used yeah. to it. You just kind of process and kind of muddle on, and then you think, well, how did I do it? Well, it's just, it's just – it becomes your normal. So that's, that's, that's the way it goes. Right. Right. Uh, you know, something I wanted to talk to you about, you know, definitely when it comes to uh, movies, um, you know, what's your origin story? You know, you're, you're a superhero when it comes to uh, film criticism. You, you bang out. I mean, you write so much. You put out so much material uh, uh, every day and every week. Um, how, did, how did you start doing this stuff? Roger Ebert, a radioactive Roger Ebert, bit me when I was at a lab. And, you know, I went to art school because I want to be an artist. I want to be a Marvel Comics artist forever. And then at some point I realized, oh my God, I'm really not good enough. This is not happening. And then I, I always love movies. So I thought, let me try to write movie reviews. So I did it for my college newspaper. And then when I graduated, I thought, I'd love to do this, but I don't know how you get there. So I just took jobs in journalism and then begged and pleaded my way onto the arts desk. And uh, I did it in Pittsburgh briefly. And then when I moved to D.C., I did it more so, got more aggressive, and actually landed a movie critic job. And then when I decided to leave D.C. for Denver, I thought, well, journalism is kind of collapsing. What do I do? So I kind of said, well, I'm, I'm right of center, and I don't see many right of center critics out there. So why don't I kind of lean into that, be myself, and speak to an audience that doesn't get a lot of attention? 
And that's kind of been it. So I've been kind of just bouncing around that way. And then, you know, I've got a podcast, I've got a website, I do a lot of freelance work and um, the book. So I just been kind of making it up as I go along and really studying hard, listening to podcasts about business and marketing and trying to educate myself in areas which I had zero zero um, credentials, zero experience. I'm just, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not from an entrepreneurial family. So, um, you know, and my wife, God bless her, kind of gritted her teeth while I was making very little money. And then now I'm, I'm doing okay. So, you know, I'm, again, I'm still, it's the kind of career where you have to kind of constantly uh, search out new information, network, pr- uh, you know, push myself, push my name out there, push my brand out there. So, it's it's interesting, but it is exhausting, and I, I don't go on vacations really. Even when I do, I'm still working. My my wife makes fun of me for that, but uh, I kind of work seven days a week. And when my wife says, "Hey, I'm taking the kids out," you know, it's it's hockey time or something. I'll say, "Okay, I'll stay home and work." So, but I I love it. I genuinely love it, and uh, I get excited by it all the time. And so that's that's kind of keeping me going right now. Yeah, you know, there's there's something too, and you brought up you know being bitten by uh, the Roger Ebert radioactive <laughs> <laughs> radioactive Roger Ebert. Um, and, uh, I, th- there's something where I still go back and reread old, um, columns that Roger Ebert would write old, you know, uh, criticisms of, of movies. And, uh, there's something, uh, I think about a good critic and, you know, critics get a, you know, get a bad rap. It's, you know, the artists are, are always like, well, if you could do what I do, you'd be doing what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Mr. Roger Ebert and your writing of the, the, Val- the Valley of the Dolls or whatever that, uh, <laughs> that schlock piece was. Um, but I, I think, I think the sign of a, of a good critic is when you read their work and you find something more in the work that you both shared by, you know, by going to, uh, to see it. And, uh, so, so that's something I like, you know, in, in addition to your work, I, I, I enjoy reading Kyle Smith as well. From, yeah. He's uh, great. National review. And I, and I think, um, uh, yeah. And I, I think that it's important to have, uh, you know, well-written criticism. Um, there's a, there's a level of trust there as well, where uh, you, th- there are critics. I remember this one art critic in particular named Jed Pearl. Uh, I think he wrote, I don't know, it was like the, the new Republic and, he would. Uh, it seemed like everyone, everything that he wrote was just him just destroying a museum, <laughs> whatever you know, whatever exhibit uh, they they had on. Uh, so, like anytime I wanted to, you know, read somebody catty, I'd go and read uh, Jed Pearl. Uh, but I think it's important, uh, you know, I guess now where where I am to read critics who I know are coming in good faith and like come in wanting to enjoy the work, and you know, and if they don't, if they don't enjoy it. They're going to have reasons why that, 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 that are, that, that you can respect. Um, and I think that's really important. One weird thing about my career right now is I'm often critiquing my fellow critics, which I think is not cool and not, uh, what I expected to do. But I, I also believe that some of them are behaving badly, that they're not really acting in good faith or they're using their prejudices to kind of overwhelm what the story, the review, the conversation is about. And if they're doing that, it, that's that's a problem, and you're basically the service you're providing is to be a film critic to say, "Hey, do you want to not spend two hours on this film? Well, I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't spend two hours in this film." And you no, know, that's that's important. So that's that's their job. And even though I'm right of center, I can't look at a liberal film that's good and say, "Oh, don't you dare see that," because that might change your mind about this this thinking that I had. So you know, I think too many critics these days are doing that. They're they're being aggressively. 
uh, it, it just just like propagandists. It's it's not right. And I again, I don't think it's cool to call out critics, but I, I think when they do that, then you shouldn't. Heck, if someone if I'm doing that and I'm guilty of it, I want someone to call me out too. Yeah, and and, and you know something that I, that I noticed too. Uh, uh, a while back, I watched the HBO series The White Lotus, and um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I really enjoyed The White Lotus. And uh, as I often do, if there's something that I like, I want to see what, you know, what, what people, what other people are saying about it. And I came across just so much criticism that was uh, basically saying, you know, I want, you know, I wanted him to write characters that I was comfortable seeing on, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's like, well, you know, if that's what you want, then you got to make your own stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, as opposed to well, w- the characters that he did present, what do you think about them and how did they re- relate to each other? Were they believable? Were they, did they feel authentic? Um, you know, what were the moments that, that stood out? Um, so yeah, I totally uh, hear what you're saying on that front. And by the way, you know, if you're watching a movie and it's maybe set in a land where you don't live or in there's an occupation being portrayed that you don't do and have never trained for, I find that more interesting. I, I want to be open to other experiences and other cultures and other lands. You know, we talk about diversity all the time and I think diversity gets a bad rap sometimes because it's so aggressively pushed and not authentic. But, you know, when Pixar puts out new movies about a culture I've never experienced, I, I'm I'm in. You know, I'm I'm, I'm fascinated, and I, I wanna I wanna live through that. Well, we have only a couple minutes left. Uh, is there anything else you want to ask about me? Because we kind of we're kind of making this a dual interview, so I, I don't think we're doing a, a, a X versus Y. It's kind of a back and forth. So, yeah. Well, well, well uh, you know, on the on the. Uh, on the subject of of critics and, and criticism, did did you happen to see the uh, documentary? You don't know. Uh, you don't know me, by any chance? I don't think it's I did. About, no, it's about um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Showgirls. Um, it's the uh, the the documentary of the uh, critical and cultural response to the. Uh, to the movie Showgirls. Oh, you know, I actually ran a review of that on my site from a, uh, a contributor, but I didn't see it directly. So that was, it was interesting, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what, um, you know, the, the person that, that was on on your site uh, had to say about it, but uh, I thought it was phenomenal. I thought it was really great. Um, and uh, in particular, how you could have a movie that is just panned, you know, outright and just totally <laughs> ridiculous, and then have basically the, I guess a, a different pair of eyes see it and show you things about it that you didn't know before um, and make it worthwhile to see it again. Oh, I love that. And by the way, your, your kids are too young, but my, my oldest son and I love watching extraordinarily bad movies and processing them in a new way. And uh, so that's, it's, it's an odd joy. And I think I like it the best when it's an authentic voice you know the the movie troll troll 2 trolls 2 um and and uh, i guess the room with uh what's his name tommy wiseau these are these are bad filmmakers who are trying to make something profound and they both failed miserably but the fact that they tried so uh enthusiastically and and couldn't pull it off is is so endearing to me and i i suspect maybe there's a showgirls aspect there as well yeah and I, I mean, and I hope that I get there one day where I could, <laughs> I could do something with so much heart. I put all my, put everything I have behind it. And then uh, it's the equivalent of like trolls do. <laughs> trolls do. 
Excellent. Well, before we kind of wrap up here, I want to get, share where people can find you and get your work. Of course, your website is theluperez.com. You can find his tour dates, information about his podcast, which is, of course, is a must listen. And I'm, I guess you'll keep people up to date on, on when your book is coming out. Um, so check out all things Lou. I, I, I miss your work at uh, We the Internet, but you get some other stuff happening now. And if you go to his channel, there's some funny stuff. There's little bits, there's sketches, there's a podcast as well. So lots of content you're putting out. Thank you so much. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to Virtue Bombs, for sure. Congratulations on, on the book. I have a little idea of what went into that. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm very happy that you made it through and that it's out there in the world. And I think, I think the most arduous part is the promotion cycle. So you'll be enjoying that in a few months, I'm sure. Right on. Excellent. Well, thank you, Lou. Uh, one of the best voices in comedy out there. Check him out wherever you find him on a stage, on the internet, on YouTube. And uh, we will do this again and probably when your book comes out. Thank you so much for listening. And again, please order my book, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore, on the death and rebirth of comedy. Just follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore. And please subscribe to my podcast. Leave a five-star review. Why not? Sign up for my newsletter at theluperez.com. And if you want other ways to support my work, you can join theluperez.locals.com. And of course, be sure to support my sponsors, palomaverdecbd.com. Use promo code LOU for 25% off purchases over $75 and Black Organic Cold Brew, B-L-V-C-K-B-R-E-W.com. Use promo code LOU for free shipping. Thank you.